The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the MJ Cast. Today's episode is another special in which we'll be talking with one of the most well-known and respected writers in the MJ world. Andy Healy has been writing on Michael Jackson for a number of years within his MJ101 series, starting way back with his original MJ101, The Greatest Songs book, which counts down his picks for the 101 best MJ songs. He then branched off and released other books in the 101 lineup, such as the short films, the remixes, Off the Wall and History. Andy's books are not only known for providing great factual detail and deep opinions around Michael's art, but getting conversations going between fans and around what Michael's best work actually is. We're very lucky to have Andy here with us today to talk all about his brand new entry in the 101 series, MJ101, The Performances. Andy, welcome back to the MJ cast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's uh, always great to, uh, to listen to the MJ cast, and it's uh, a joy once again to be on uh, with you guys. Which, which was the episode you were last on? I can't, I can't remember. It was season one, wasn't it? Uh, no, I think it was this. I think it was the kickoff for this season. That's right. Um, with Charles and I don't know what, what we were talking about. But there was were we talking about the ATV catalogue or something? Maybe? Uh, no, not with me. No. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I remember what we were talking about. They had chalk to sell. They had chalk to That's sell. That's right. That was the one. It was the off the wall. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, this one will be way more positive, I guess. Because I have, because I have chalk to sell. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We actually really wanted to kick off the season, um, sort of on a really positive note, but we couldn't help it that the estate had just released that 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 album, and you know, I don't know if it was the most exciting album, so we couldn't help but talk about it. <laughs> That's right, but. Yeah, we got you back, Andy, and <laughs> you've been doing stuff. You've been making things. I've been keeping busy with the MJ101 series, so I've got a new release coming out uh, in the next um, couple of hours. Um, yeah, excited to, to talk to you guys about that. That's awesome. Hey, Jamie, why don't we, like, straight up now just get Andy to share where people can find the works? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good to me. Okay, so uh, if you're interested uh, in the MJ101 series, best to head over to mj101series.com uh, where you'll find six free ebooks to download uh, that discuss the music and art of Michael Jackson. Awesome. I was going to say, actually, we were like the best MJ value on the net with, <laughs> our, with our show being free and all, but I have to say... I think MJ101 is actually... Is a close second. Well, no, I would say you're first. <laughs> yeah. Because you, no, you got way pretty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not of me. That's what makes them pretty. <laughs> Andy, what's it, what's it like sort of being viewed in the community as like a um, like respected tastemaker, like a curator almost? 
you know, I don't necessarily see myself that way. I'm just a fan who's written some books and, um, you know, put them up for other fans to read. And that's, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that people find value in, in the work that I've done. Um, but it is just, you know, in my view, just one fan's opinion that's meant to be just sort of a Kickstarter to to other people having discussions and, um, you know, getting the, the focus back on Michael's music, his art, all the stuff that, that made us fans in the first place. So, uh, it's nice to be thought of that way, but um, I'm just a, a fan like everybody else. That's just like us, isn't it, Jamin? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, Andy, did you always feel like with with, with putting 101 together, uh, did you always want to do it as a book or was there a time where you were thinking maybe doing it as a blog or a website or was it always writing that you wanted to do as a, in a book format? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it first started out with, with 101, the, the, the Greatest Songs, just started out as a playlist um, that I that I was kind of working on, um, but I've always sort of had writing in my in my being. I guess you know when I was a kid, I wrote my own songs, um, I wrote my own plays. So yeah, I've always been drawn to writing, and my job is as a creative, a copywriter. So I basically have to come up with the ideas for commercials, uh, TV spots, radio billboards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I've been moving more into kind of long-form narrative, um, starting to write film scripts and TV series and things like that. So my kind of passion for writing is sort of what led me more to, to make um, the 101 series more of a book rather than, you know, a blog because there's just uh, too many damn good blogs out there at the moment about MJ. So I uh, couldn't compete with all of that. Andy, what are your earliest memories of Michael Jackson? Probably... I think actually seeing Blame It on the Boogie on Countdown. So that definitely dates me. Wow. Into, um, I saw Do the video. yourself a favour. Exactly. Thank you, Molly. Um, I didn't care much for the song, to be honest, and it's not one of my favourites since then. But uh, the video just kind of, you know, uh, intrigued me. And then when Off the Wall came out, um, I remember going and buying that. I mean, we'd always had music in our house. The first album I ever bought with my own money, I was five years old. Um, and the first seven-inch single I ever bought was Prince. So, um, yeah, so there's always been music going, and uh, MJ uh, off the wall when it got released was the uh, was the thing that kind of got me hooked into him. So it would be fair to say that the off-the-wall release was the moment that you became a mega MJ fan. <laughs> yeah, I think um, just listening to that album, when Working Day and Night came on, it was just like, okay, this is just going from strength to strength, and... Yeah, there was just something about that song in particular that just hooked me in. And, um, you know, I I tend to be an all-or-nothing listener. So if I like an artist, I kind of deep dive into them and have to get everything they've ever done. Um, and so with Michael, it was great because there was obviously all the Jacksons and all the off the, um, all the Jackson 5 stuff to, to kind of go back to. So I had a quick, uh, you know, deep dive into to Michael's kind of history leading to that point. And then, yeah, was a fan since Off the Wall Forwards. Did you ever get a chance to see Michael perform live? Yeah, uh, I was fortunate enough, Bad Tour, when it toured Australia in November. Um, I saw it at Melbourne at the, um, the Olympic, Olympic Park and then camped out overnight uh, for dangerous tickets and was first in line when they cancelled uh, the concerts that morning. Um, so I was a little annoyed with that saw the history tour shows in both melbourne and sydney and did have tickets for uh for this is it wow 
That's so cool. What sort of do you remember about, like, you know, seeing the Bad Tour? I guess you would have been quite young then. Yeah, the Bad Tour for me um, still remains as, like, one of my favourite all-time live shows, um, not just of Michael but of anyone. It was just an amazing experience. You know, that was when Michael was 100% live with his vocals. Uh, the energy was just unstoppable. And uh, there was just a rawness to it that uh, that – kind of really came through in, in his dancing, in his performance. Um, it was just an amazing show. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, as I say, got to see him in the history tour and things like that. But uh, that for me was like, you know, a moment that will uh, forever stay with me, just the excitement of, of, uh, of you know, seeing that floor open up, those floodlights uh, burn through the, the, the park and, uh, and the silhouettes appear. And, yeah, it was just amazing. When you were watching the history show, were you – like, could you help yourself but compare it back to the bad tour? Yeah, I mean, look, you'd kind of, you know, as a Michael fan, you kind of uh, grabbed everything you could. So I had seen the HBO special from Dangerous, uh, the Bucharest tour. You know, and, and history, the way I see it is history was a great live production. You know, and it was an amazing concert. I was fortunate enough to be at one of the shows where he did DS and Come Together. So that was like, okay, this is fantastic. You know, for whether perfectionism or for health issues or whatever, you know, the, the greater reliance on backing vocals took a little bit away from the connection, I think, between Michael and the audience in terms of the way that you feel when you're hearing someone singing live. But, yeah, I mean, the history tour was amazing. I, I think I saw it three or four times. So, you know, it, it never failed to, to, uh, to delight me and just kind of have that amped up excitement once again. But, yeah, you couldn't help but, but compare it to to kind of the bad tour. And I think because that was my first, you know, Michael show, I think people who saw Victory Tour or, you know, fans who saw the Triumph Tour or something like that will probably go, that was their first interaction. That's kind of the concert for them that's always going to be their Michael Jackson concert. Yeah. I guess when we compare concerts, you can really sort of only compare Michael shows to Michael shows. Yeah. And I guess in some ways the bad tour was sort of, I guess what we would call a simpler, yeah, like you said, raw show compared to the production of the the following shows. So I guess, yeah, yeah the Bad Tour, I guess, is like the sort of the epitome of a simple pop concert. Yeah, with just an amazing talent out front that really doesn't need to, uh, you know, have big tanks rolling up on stage to, <laughs> uh, to, to enthrall you. Not that that was a bad thing, but... You know, I remember um, I was in Sydney at the time of the history tour and somehow was being interviewed on radio or something there. And the guy said to me, oh, what did you think of all the special effects? And I said, um, Michael Jackson is his own special effect. Mm, you know, that there's there's nothing like seeing him on stage. And um, for me, a lot of the, you know, the, the defining moments of Michael's performances are just him alone on stage, whether it's doing Billie Jean or Human Nature or something like that, where just the the sheer brilliance and talent of the man shine through and there's nothing to kind of distract or obscure it. I think that's really well put. We spoke earlier um, about you being a curator or sort of like a tastemaker of the Michael Jackson fan world. And, and I think that's that's definitely the case. That's certainly how I, I view and view you and I think a lot of people do as well. So we've got a we've got a section here of, of questions for you to hear straight from the source what you, what your <laughs> favorite Michael right. uh, material is. So we'll start off by by you talking about what your favourite Michael Jackson album is and why. 
Okay. Uh, I always have to go to history. And it's kind of a bit of a cop-out because if you do history as the, the double-disc release that it was, you get you know a lot of the, the greatest hits on, on the first disc. But for me, the second disc is amongst his strongest um, work. You know, It's obviously his most personal album, and he's really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of sounds and, and you know material that he's kind of focusing on. So for me, that's a great album. But, uh, you know, I think if you ask any fan, they, you know, it changes depending on their mood. Some, you know, you'll pull out off the wall and listen to that and go, man, this is just such a great album. Then you listen to Thriller and then, you know, for some they listen to Invincible and that's it. But, yeah, for me, I would say History. All right, this will be a tough one. Favourite MJ song? <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I can do 101 if that's easier. <laughs> <laughs> Download the book. <laughs> but, um, look, Billie Jean, I think, is kind of, you know, his um, defining moment creatively, musically, just the that song alone has so many hooks in it that you just you know you can hear it i listened to it yesterday in the car and it still sounds as fresh you can you could put that on the radio today and it would it would just be a huge hit so for me billy jean but you know honorable mentions to songs like stranger in moscow morphine working day and night you know it goes on and on and on but yeah billy jean has to be you know, the track for me. And I know that's kind of, you know, a populist sort of view. Um, but yeah, for me, that's that's definitely the one that just always grabs me and always sounds just as fresh as, as the first time I heard it. Morphine, often, you, you mentioned Morphine, and that song often yeah. pops up these days when you talk to Michael Jackson fans. And and it kind of, it I guess it went from uh, a little bit of obscurity if there is such a thing <laughs> with Michael Jackson songs in, yeah. in the late nineties and early two thousands, in my opinion, it wasn't really talked about that much. And now like it, it seems to be a song that often a lot of big time fans go back to and say is one of his most creative pieces. Yeah. I think again, I read an article the other day about just honesty in, in, in art and in music and, and um, you know, whether it's a, a filmmaker doing something or a writer writing something that's just honest. And, um, you know, for Michael, that's probably him at his most honest with regards to, you know, the, the issues he was dealing with. And, um, you know, just uh, an amazing song, amazing production. You know, you hear the Nine Inch Nails influence. You hear, you know, but, but who can take you from kind of Nine Inch Nails into an almost classical piece within the same song and, yes. and make it all work? So, um, you know, that's kind of, I think, um, you know, uh, as you say, it's kind of hard to say it's a rare Michael Jackson song, but I think it's a song that the majority of people in, you know, the, the general public don't know of. And that's kind of a, a Michael who, um, who many people, yeah, don't really get to hear from. Disgusting. I, so what does it mean? 
emotions don't get me, you wanna scream. You're back, you're abusing victims, I was in a scheme. You're trying to go with every line, it's brutal tonight. Somebody please have mercy, cause I just can't. Disgusted by all the injustice, all the injustice.
Hi, this is Rob Hoffman, studio musician and engineer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. All right, Andy. So we've talked about your favorite Michael Jackson album, your favorite MJ song, but what about your favorite MJ compilation best of album? Uh, okay, uh, for me, I'd have to go with Ultimate Collection, just because it's probably one of the few that's really um, you know career defining and sort of goes from from sort of A to to uh, I'll say W because it wasn't exactly Z at that time, but uh, A to W. And, um, yeah, just, you know, I love hearing all the demos. I love seeing the creative development of a song. So getting those tracks and getting the, uh, the unreleased stuff at that stage with Beautiful Girl and things like that was, um, you know, it was just a, it was an amazing collection. That's such a good answer. In my little list, I'd completely forgotten about that being considered as like a little best of collection because it's so comprehensive, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It was a really exciting time when that when that collection was coming out. I remember it really clearly and um, getting on a train and traveling an hour <laughs> into Brisbane <laughs> to, to go to the biggest record store in the city to buy it. And uh, I remember putting on We've Had Enough and just literally shaking, like my body was shaking yeah. listening to that song because it was the first big MJ song to really come out since Invincible, since I became a fan. It was such a magical sort of moment listening to it. If you're putting that in your car, you need like a multi-stack CD player, okay? <laughs> it's it's <Exactly>. epic. <laughs> Funny. Um, all right, question. What are your favourite Michael Jackson books? And you can't say your own. No, well, I wouldn't say my own. Um, well, you yeah, might, I mean, but... <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Um, I don't think you can – I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much like you guys. I think, you know, I've pretty much read every MJ book um, within reason – uh, that's come out and you know for me a great book kind of gives you a new insight uh, to a song or an album or something like that so I can't go past Moonwalk and I can't go past Dancing the Dream because they're from Michael so um, they're kind of you know his story told by him. Loved Bruce Swedeen's in the studio book because it just gave you little insights again about the recording process. You know Chris Cadman's for the record I was a big fan of that when that came out, and now the Maestro series is just phenomenal. You know, everything, Adrian Grant's visual documentary was a long-time fave. Recently finished Mike Smallcomb's book, um, and I'm currently reading Travis Smiley's book at the moment, but I'm having a few issues with that, so uh, that's a, a tough one to kind of get through. But, yeah, the short answer, Moonwalk and Dance in the Dream would be my faves. Awesome. That's so cool. Do you have a preference for Michael the singer or Michael the dancer? I would say the singer. I kind of I view Michael as a recording artist first and foremost. So for me, he, you know, hearing him in the studio, hearing him as a songwriter, a, a, a composer, a producer, arranger, all of those kind of things are what I get most from Michael. And then after that, there's the performance and there's the, the short films and everything. And as uh, all of that's kind of, you know, sublimely amazing icing on the cake. But, yeah, for me, he's an, uh, a recording artist first, so I would say a singer, yeah. You often hear about people kind of preferencing Michael's earlier work, be it like the 70s and the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, his work with Quincy Jones, 
or uh, the 90s and the 2000s when he was, I think, sonically a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more creative. Do you also sort of split Michael's career in your mind into those two sections or do you appreciate the whole picture? It's a really good question. I, I think I tend more to see Michael from, you know, Jackson 5 onwards and I like seeing the whole evolution of the artist and being able to track his growth from each album. So I don't kind of say... Yeah, this is, you know, this era. I kind of just look at the the totality of the works and, you know, there's obviously great work that he was doing at Motown, what he learned from Gamble and Huff, what he learned from Quincy. You know, they're all important paths on his journey. Um, so, yeah, I, I, personally I kind of tend more to listen to um, the creative expression of MJ from sort of Destiny onwards, but that might just do more to that's when I discovered him. So I can understand people when they say, oh, Dangerous is, you know, my era because that's the album that got me into it or History was or Invincible was or whatever. But, yeah, I, I tend to look at him as, a you know, a, an evolutionary artist, so the totality of his career. Mm. What about you guys? Do you Are you like era kind of people or? Um, for me, for me I, I think I kind of am i i got to admit i really don't listen to the jackson five stuff a lot like sometimes i do uh but when i do it's usually only over best of material i don't really go back and right. listen to jackson five actual albums um, the jacksons i listen to a hell of a lot uh i listen to 80s mj a lot but i, I honestly i think i listen to 90s michael jackson um, more more than any other era. I don't know why. It's just Dangerous and History and Blood on the Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. They're the albums I tend to go back to the most. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because it's a bit more of a modern sound. Maybe it's more yep. because it's so creative and adventurous and sonically you know, um, different to all of the, the stuff he did in the 80s. I don't know what it is, but I definitely, even though I appreciate all the work he did, and, and I mean, the stuff he did in the 80s is, absolutely timeless i mean that's where his most of his number one hits come from that that decade but i don't know the 90s for me is kind of where it's at with his creativity yeah i think for me i don't really have a preference like i when i think about michael in his in his sort of musical career i i go by the eras like i label everything in my head as eras for where it came from and what i was attached to so just that's because of the the staggering size of the amount of work that there is. So it's just so I can sort of compartmentalise everything. But I don't sort of really listen to one era more than the other. I would probably listen to sort of, you know, you know early Jackson stuff just as much as mm. um, history stuff. I go through phases, though, so... You know, I'll go through phases where I just want to hear like rock MJ. Yeah, sure. So I'll just like listen to like you know Beat It and Dirty Diana and Give In to Me and that kind of thing. And then I'll go through phases where I want to listen to like uh, like Happy MJ. So like you know off the wall stuff and right. you know the, the sort of lighter songs and then pop MJ like Jam and stuff like that. So I go through phases, but I can never really settle on just one thing. That's sort of what I could survive on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the great thing with Michael is that he's, you know, he was never restricted to one genre. So you can, you know, slice and dice it any which way you want. You can go through albums, you can go through styles, you can go through, you know, social consciousness songs, you can go through kind of the more fantastical narrative songs. It's, uh, it's an amazing kind of way you can, can slice up his career. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're so lucky. <laughs> we hope that by talking to you, we're sort of going to be introducing some listeners to and, and fans of Michael to what the MJ101 series actually is. So can you sort of just those people that haven't got into it yet, just tell everyone about the MJ101 series? Sure. They're a series of free ebooks that are meant to be thought starters, really, more than anything. They're kind of a critical collection looking over Michael's work. So whether it's looking at his short films, looking at albums in their entirety. So I've done one for Off the Wall and I've done one for History. Or, you know, the first one which I did, which was kind of categorising or rating the 101 Greatest Songs. They're just meant to be kind of insights into to the tracks themselves, kind of maybe make you think about a song that you've not particularly gravitated towards, maybe rethink about it or discover a new song that you didn't know about. And more than anything, it's just meant to kind of put the focus back on the music and hopefully start, as you said at the beginning, it was a very generous thing to say, that it kind of is a is a, um, a conversation starter. It's, you know, you, uh, you'll be reading it and you'll go, no, 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 I wouldn't have put that as number five. I would have put that further down and I would have put <laughs> what he's got at number 20 as my number two. And um, that's what it's meant to be. You know, I've, I've had people uh, email me to say that they've, now created their own MJ101 playlists on, on their iPods and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of cool to hear because that's what it was meant to be. It was just meant to be, you know, a kicking off point for people to kind of come back to the music and rediscover some stuff and uh, reevaluate songs and, you know, kind of put them through the torturous challenge of going, okay, you know, as, as I failed just before, what's your favourite song? It's kind of like you can't necessarily pin it down on one but if you had to pick one why and then what's your number two and then what's your number three and what's your number 40 and what's your number 50 and and so on it's so hard to do <laughs> welcome to my world <laughs> uh i i actually what you what you were saying before about being a it being a conversation point i know a couple of guys who uh, told me a story once about how they were on this long flight together from one city to another and they decided they were both big mj fans and they decided to take a copy of mj 101 on the flight uh, and they read it together page for page and just got into wow. this epic you know uh multi-hour discussion about your placement of songs and what they would have done and and just how it really brought them together and um, strengthened their bond as MJ fans as well. So I think, yeah, I think what you're saying is right. It's, it's, a real, it's not only a great book to read by yourself, but in community with other MJ fans, having it there to, to, uh, to talk about is, is a wonderful thing too. Yeah, I like to call it what the hell does he know um, kind of books. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was that always your vision from the very start? Was, was that idea of getting fans engaged with sequencing Michael's material and, and critiquing your, your placements of his music? Was that your idea from the very start or did you just want to list his music down in, in the sequence you wanted? I mean, it, it started for me, I mean, Amongst all my friends, they know that I'm kind of, you know, the top five kind of guy who will be like, okay, what's your top five movies? What's your top five TV shows? What's your top five songs? What's your top <laughs> whatever? Um, and I used to do mixtapes for friends and I was all about, you know, making sure one song flowed into the other and, and, you know, really paying attention to all of that. So when iTunes came around, creating playlists was like, you know, uh, heaven sent for me. 
Um, and I actually started doing a, uh, an MJ kind of 101 playlist at that stage. And what I liked was, uh, you know, iTunes is fantastic for it because you just load in all the Michael songs and then you just press play on the first one. You go, okay, well, where do I place this? So it's like, okay, you, for me, it's okay. Billie Jean's number one. Okay. Then what, you know, what do you place next? And where does smooth criminal come in? Where does man in the mirror come in? Where does beautiful girl come in? And you can just shift them up, then play that song versus the one above it and one below it. No, okay, it moves up one more spot, you know. And it's it's an arduous process, and um, but a, but a fun one because it does kind of get you into kind of really critiquing and listening to the music more than just kind of having it in the background playing and going, oh yeah, I like this song. You know, you have to start trying to think a little bit more about why you connect to it, you know. And for me. I actually started writing it back in 2008 when um, Thriller 25 came out. And at that stage, it was, you know, uh, you know, just an idea. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I could start, you know, pulling all of it together and started kind of really sitting down to, to write in uh, the kind of changeover of 2008, 2009. And just because I was kind of more as a fan, just was fed up of nobody talking about Michael's music anymore. They were always talking about, you know, everything else. And to me, everything else was just window dressing. It was the art that was the front and center. So I just started writing it. And obviously 2009 happened and I just kind of shelved the project because I didn't want to be someone who was, I don't know, taking advantage, I guess, of, of you know, losing someone who the world had loved as a, as a musical artist and, you know, trying to go, okay, well, here's a good time to put a book out. So I just, I, it just didn't sit right with me to finish it at that stage. And so I left it for a couple of years and then basically went back to it around 2012 and started kind of pretty much from scratch again, kind of threw out a lot of what I'd written and just started with that kind of post-2009 mindset. And, um, yeah, released 101, gone back in 2013. So fair while back now. Just completely unrelated uh, you did mention Mike Smorkham's book earlier. Yeah. And his his book sort of focuses on the music hugely as well. And a tweet that he put out this week was so disturbing. Uh, the tweet from Mike was, being told by some media they won't review MJ books like mine, which are, are not about his death or scandals. I'm proud mm -hmm. I kept the music the focus. And that's just so disturbing that an artist like Michael needs people sort of to, to refocus books and and discussion on his music like his is like you know a, a, a big book it's it's a published yeah, book yours is a free ebook but you know what just what would you think if you were actually trying to publish these sort of little books as like physical books do you think it would be really difficult because of the the media and they wouldn't support it and publishers might not support it yeah, I think that's why a lot of fans, you know, Mike, you know, Damien Shields did with Escape Origins. A lot of people have kind of been self-publishing these books. You know, I think Joe Vogel's book kind of was the first more positive bent book that, that kind of came out and got a bit of coverage. But I think the media, unfortunately, buy into the narrative of, you know, Michael being whatever they want him to be to sell their particular issue at that stage so when they you know when he's passed or when it's an anniversary they're happy to kind of write the 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 great pieces that talk about him as an artist and because they know they'll sell more issues or they'll get more clicks but 
they, you know, will quickly sway back to the more scandalous, I guess, or salacious kind of aspects of rumour because that will get even more clicks. Um, you know, and we're finding that with Prince now as well and, um, you know, it, it just seems that for whatever reason the, the general public or the media wants to kind of have that narrative in place and don't really want to have anything that challenges that. And I think it's a shame that, you know, whether or not people like any of the books that come out about Michael, they should all be, you know, the press should review them, especially books like Mike's. And, um, you know, even the, the Travis book is getting some coverage at the moment. You, you know, I just I just think it's he was more than just, you know, a tabloid headline. And I think he should be treated with a lot more respect than he gets. So your book's a free book. Yeah. That's, you know, that's pretty awesome that you do that free. So tell us about sort of that pricing model. <laughs> well, it's uh, cheap at twice the price. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, again, I just wrote it as one fan's opinion, you know, for, for other fans who might be interested in reading it. And the whole series, as I said earlier, was meant to be just, you know, a, a starting point for people's discussions, you know, and... I just wanted it to be a free thing. And so I, uh, when I first released 101, it was come to the website, download it, it's yours. Um, feel free to take excerpts of it. If you want to translate it, whatever, it's, it's good. It's kind of out there now. And then when I kind of did other supplements, short films and remixes, I stumbled across this kind of pay with a tweet aspect, um, which seemed like a nice way of spreading the word. Um, I've had some people contact me saying, oh, I don't really want to do that until I've read it. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll send you the book. Don't worry about it. Um, and I'm kind of swaying more back to, to kind of saying, okay, well, you know, currently out of the five books, two of them are paid with a tweet or a Facebook post and the rest are free. But I'm kind of swaying more with the release of performances just to make them all free and, um, you know, let, let fans hopefully enjoy them and um, find some value in them. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you, you have released them for free and I think it's completely honourable and noble. Uh, but I've, I do have to say that, um, okay, there's a, there's a great book out there by Rolling Stone and it's called The Top 500 Albums Ever or something like that. It's a beautiful, big, hardcover coffee table book and I've read it a bazillion times. It's a little bit dated now because it only includes albums up until, you know, 20. 10 or something like that um right but it's a great book to read uh and it's got beautiful glossy images in it of the artists it's got a little description of the album and why it's so important and uh it, it basically does exactly the same thing that your book does your books do mm -hmm. sorry except for all the albums of all time um I've got to say the quality of your writing, the quality of the images you use, the placement of the text, the the attention to detail you put into typography, um, just just everything to the design of the books, they're so beautiful. I didn't think I don't think you would have a hard time at all selling them um, as as pieces for for Michael Jackson fans to buy of anybody around the world. I think that's really kind of you guys to say. I um, you know I I joke that. You know, there's a lot of people who've downloaded it because it is free. You know, if I if I charge for it, I might get one download. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, and as I say, I never set out to make any money from it. Um, mm. 
uh, that's just not where that's not the motivation for it and yeah. so i wouldn't want to kind of switch it now into going okay well now i'll go get a publishing deal for them and release them all as a package um <laughs> i'd rather just keep them out there free and let fans sort of discover them when they do well if you ever do decide to release physical versions of them i'll be first in line to get them <laughs> okay i'll send you a copy <laughs> Uh, no, we'll buy a copy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll donate. How about that? <laughs> um, so I've got a question now as well about uh, the way the books are set out. And uh, like I yeah. said before, this this other book I've, I've read, the Rolling Stone album one, and and uh, a lot of other books similar to yours, they, just, they actually do, they are laid out kind of in the reverse. They actually count down. Um, from number 500 or number 100 or whatever, all the way down to number one. But your books, you flip them open and it's got your number one right at the start. And and how come you decided to do that? Basically, spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) No, look, I I mean, to me, it was always easier writing about the songs that were going to be in the top 10, top 20, top 30, whatever. Um, And... You know, with 101, for example, there's, you know, a page written about those songs. And then as I kind of get further down, there are, you know, a couple of paragraphs written about each. And I wanted it to kind of, I did play with both formats. I did play with reversing it and doing it from 101 down to one. Um, But for me as a reader, I just didn't find it that enjoyable. I don't know why. And I thought maybe for the wider, you know, non-hardcore MJ fans, if people were coming to this, because they've just got the greatest hits and they want to know more about what other songs are out there, that kind of letting them come into a song which they know, such as Billie Jean or Man in the Mirror or The Way You Make Me Feel, et cetera, et cetera, is an easier way in, an easier way into the book and to kind of take you through that journey than getting into a much too soon or, or anything like that where, you know, a song they may not be that well aware of. So, yeah, I, I, I've had a couple of people talk to me about, oh, you should do it the other way, you should do it the other way, and I kind of, you know, teeter back and forth. I don't think there's any uh, – the other way is much more logical going from 101 to 1. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was an easier way for people to get in and kind of start off with music that potentially they're more aware of and then get further into deep album cuts and, you know, tracks that were on the Ultimate Collection and things like that than, um, than the other way around. I sort of like it that way, actually, because you go, cool, let's get these, you know, the well-known stuff sort of out of the way. And then as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, man, I'm only up to like number 12. I wonder what's actually going to be next. Like, yeah, and then yeah. you get some real big surprises, which there was some that I was really like happy that you had included. So, yeah, I thought it was, I like that. I also think, you know, from the discussion point of view also, um, there's going to be a greater debate between what song number one, two, three, four, and five are versus what's song number 101. You know, I did I did have someone stop me once and say, what was song 102? Which I thought was the most interesting question I had ever heard. Um, and for those playing at home, the answer was Buttercup. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't believe you got the answer all set to go. <laughs> all right, well, what was what was 21 for this book? Uh, oh, good. Uh, for performances, um... See, with performances, I deliberately didn't do, well, I tried not to do any live performance. So no kind of like Smooth Criminal from the Bad Tour um, (laughs) in Los Angeles on this date. Yeah. Then you would be like 101, literally, you'd have 101. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think with this one, 
you know, there were certain performances on TV shows that you kind of go, okay, that's great, but is it better than? And so they do start to to kind of move further back in the in the pack. Does that mean because you haven't because you've decided not to include the tours in here? Does that mean at some point we're going to get a one hundred and one tours countdown? I don't know. Um, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and if I do, I'll be sure to give you a um, you know fifty percent of the profits. Because <laughs> at first thought, there's only like a few actual solo Michael Jackson tours. But if you if you include all the Jacksons ones and the Jackson Five, yeah, you well, get quite a few. Yeah, well, how deep can you go? You can go like okay, well you know Mexico performance of this track is better than you know. You can go so deep because some shows you know some tracks really stand out, but then Absolutely. on others he's like yeah. yeah. And I've I've always argued I would love to have. Um, you know, a collection on DVD of just, you know, uh, a concert made up of just his best performances. Yes. Of So what is the best performance of Billie Jean? That goes there. What's the best performance of Jam? That goes there. What's the best performance of She's Out of My Life? That goes there. So you could have this kind of, you know, the master sort of performer DVD that has those, you know, the defining moments of each song. And that to me would be something cool to do. Absolutely. Well, you'd be the guy to put that together. <laughs> I don't know if I would. No be. one better. It'd be something good to watch. <laughs> Have you thought of going back to revise your previously released books because they are like a digital books? I I don't know because I'm not a techno sort of person, but with, that's a lot easier probably to do than a physical book. Yeah, I, I've been toying with a second edition of 101 um, Greatest Songs mm. for a while ever since because I wrote it prior to Bad 25 coming out. Um, and then prior, obviously, to Escape coming out. And so for me, I've kind of, you know, wanted to, to revisit that in a while, and it'll be interesting to see what new songs come in, but then obviously some songs have to drop out. So that's kind of, you know, the, the tension that I, that I like that these projects deliver. You know, and I've kind of I've always had hard and fast rules that I wouldn't put any bootleg songs out there or any unreleased material that wasn't readily available. To, to make it on because I, I wanted it to be something which people could listen to the track. So they, you know, they wanted to sit and, and read about Man in the Mirror. They could and play Man in the Mirror at the same time and kind of hopefully would sync up or in the back or whatever and kind of introduce people to music as they're reading it. So, yeah, since, because that was 2013, I've been kind of, that's kind of one of the next projects to to sort of work on is revisit um, 101 Greatest Songs and include more of the the uh, the demos of Escape and um, the unreleased works from Bad 25. You mentioned about listening to the songs at the same time as reading them, and I think that's another really great, uh, I guess, aspect to your work is that the pieces that you write aren't uh, waffly or overly long. They're, you can pretty much get through one section of your book so on one song or one performance or whatever in a few minutes or a couple of minutes mm. is pretty much the same amount of time that the track would actually play for which is really exciting because like i have actually read your your book before listening to the music in the background and it's a really fun experience yeah i've, I've tried to write to the actual track itself a lot of the time so if i'm talking about you know the swooping strings and don't stop to get enough and when they come in at three minutes 48 you know that you're kind of at that point reading it and it's kind of syncing up a little bit for you so that it's more a you know a, a false kind of sensory experience of of getting information and hearing it kind of the payoff at the same time mm. when we were setting up the show and talking about um 
getting getting everything together. You did mention, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you mentioned that writing your latest book was a bit of a labor of love. What would you say is was the easiest 101 book to write and then the most challenging? Oh, um, hardest was probably 101, just for the sheer kind of volume of, of work to kind of, you know, uh, the criteria was I had to listen to every song in different formats. So I had to listen to the vinyl version of Billie Jean, for example, listen to it on cassette, listen to it on CD, listen to the, you know, the, if it was remastered, listen to, and, you know, because each time you would hear it in different formats, something different would, would kind of, you know, punch through the mix a little bit more. So that just from the sheer volume of, of listening to all the work and then categorizing it and rating it and all of that was probably the hardest. The easiest for me, strangely enough, was the short films mm. because it just seemed to flow when I was writing it. The remixes was also a bit of a challenge because there was a lot more of my personal take on stuff. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of taking a ballad and making it into a dance track. So I wasn't ne- necessarily going to gravitate towards those kind of remixes. And then also knowing, you know, Michael's somewhat conflicted point of view on, on his take on remixes as well sort of, you know, I knew that addressing the remix issue was going to potentially have some people, you know, push back a little bit on it and rightfully so. But yeah, that was probably one of the harder ones to write because it it ended up being, I don't know, a little bit more uh, personal subjective rather than, you know, a a criteria that had to be met. Yeah. When, in terms of the the listing of your... um in your books, like the different songs or whether it's the short films or the performances or whatever, obviously they're in a pretty clear cut sequence. Like this is number one, this is number two, this is number three. Are they listed as like what you think are legitimately Michael Jackson's best artistic work or are they listed in just your personal favorites? Uh, yeah, probably more the, the, the idea of it being his best stuff. Um, and again, I, I'm the first to admit it's, it has somewhat subjectivity to it. Um, but I try to set up before I each, before I write each one, I, I try to set up a criteria of kind of like, so what's the impact of the song or the short film or the performance from an artistic point of view? What did it do to his career? What did it do from a commercial point of view? What did it do from a critical point of view? And kind of have that be my guide as to, um, you know, a song like Morphine, um, is kind of pushing more in terms of the the creative content and stuff like that, uh, whereas a song such as You Are Not Alone, a huge hit, but not necessarily something that really pushed him anywhere. Mm. It wasn't a song that he wrote. Um, so those kind of criterias would help kind of push um, certain songs up or down the rankings. And, um, you know, uh, I can't help but, but have some you know, bias in, in some songs. But personally, a song like You Are Not Alone is not a song that I would have put in 101 um, if I was doing it just on my own selections. Yeah. Um, but but I can understand its importance to his career, its importance to where it hit in the time of his um, creative development, things like that. So it was warranted. And, yeah, I, I think the discussion earlier when you asked my favourite MJ songs um, – you know, those answers uh, aren't necessarily one, two, three, four, five in the book either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I try to stick to it a little bit more with a, a criteria that, you know, can be kind of stress tested a little bit. Yeah. 
survive so we can run
Hey, this is Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. We hope you enjoyed the music today. It was actually a remix by Andy himself. So is that DJ MJ 101? We've played Scream, Rock With You, and we will be playing a great remix of Shake Your Body. Tell us about performances. When did you start writing this particular book? Like, did you come up with it halfway through another one? Do you sort of, like, you're halfway through one and you go, oh, I'm going to start this one now <laughs> and finish this one later? Yeah, it's uh, pretty much my problem is I always have, like, two or three 101 projects in development at the same time. So I'm constantly kind of, you know, going wherever the energy is. And if one feels like it's too much a job of writing it rather than a joy of writing it, I, I switch focus and then we'll come back to it. So performances was actually meant to come out after I tackled the remixes. And then, you know, I had some health and personal issues that kind of cropped up that kind of sidelined me for a good couple of months. Um, and then when I kind of felt back on my, on my feet to, to start writing again, um, that's when history was approaching its 20th anniversary. And so I went, okay, well, maybe I can revisit that. And then Off the Wall was coming up. And it's like, okay, maybe I'll revisit that. And I kind of got sidetracked off um, performances until probably earlier this year. So I, I, um, I sort of went back to it. And, I, you know, I guess part of the, the benefit but also the, the slackness or the, the, uh, the delay of, of some of the releases is because I'm at my own you know, deadline in a sense. No one, I don't have a publisher. I don't have anyone saying this has to be out by June 1st. And, um, you know, so sometimes I can go, if I'm not feeling it, I'm like, well, I don't want to put something out where I'm just bashing out 20 for the sake of it, or I've got 15, but I need five more. So I'll just put some filler tracks in and yeah, we're done. Um, I'd rather just wait to, to kind of really want to, you know, I want to put in as much effort into track, you know, or the performance number 20 as I do to, to writing about performance number one. How did you settle on that number of one to 20? Because obviously Michael did more than 20 performances. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I mean, 101 is definitely 101 songs. And then when I looked at the short films, I wanted to kind of make them more like little supplements. So I call, you know, the greatest um, songs is a book and then the rest are supplements. So they're kind of meant to be more kind of bite-sized 20, you know, top 20 sort of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, with performances, it, you, you could easily get to to uh, to writing a hundred and one on them. Um, but I again just wanted to kind of make it a little bit more streamlined and potentially a little bit more accessible to people, and then have you know again start the debate, start the discussion, have people you know send me angry emails saying I can't <laughs> believe you didn't include this one. Um, so that's all good because. You know, I had that with Speechless, like the amount of people who emailed me going, I can't believe you didn't put Speechless in. Mm. And my response is, okay, well, what is it to you? Where would you place it? What would you, you know, and I love the beginning of Speechless. I love the acapella part of it and I love the end of it. But in the middle, it kind of gets a little bit too Disney-esque for me and I have to bail. Um, <laughs> so, so um, but but I get Whereas that that's like, right, that's probably, you know, Q, you're... Mr. Disney, you're probably like, that's one of my favorites. Well, I think when we, when uh, Jenkins asked us like our favorite song, I think that's probably vocally my favorite track. Mm. I just love it. 
So thank you for your uh, angry letter, Q. <laughs> no, uh, I didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, and that's the point of the book. It is meant to be that um, that you can, you know, that people are so passionate about these songs that they can say, well, yeah, that's, that's my all-time favourite song. And it's like, great, tell me why. And a lot of the times, you know, people will say, well, I love this part about it. And then I'll go back and listen to the song. And I call it, you know, listening to something with new ears because you've sort of dismissed it as being, you know, too saccharine or too whatever. And then you hear it and you go, wow, actually, yeah, okay, I'm hearing it a little bit different. Maybe it's 106 now instead of something else. <laughs> 200. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think the book Performances is an incredible read. I encourage any of our listeners to go out and get it for sure. Uh, I think the reason that I liked it so much, um, I guess, is its focus. Uh, it, I think it was a really smart move to kind of um, ignore the, the tours uh, because, like you alluded to before, it, the book would have been massive. It, it would have been yeah. really, really a monumental task and probably impossible to whittle down his 20 best singular performances, including all of the separate songs he ever did on tour. Like, yeah. th- that would just be uh, an insurmountable task, I think. But this this book has a lot of focus. So the idea of it, talk us through what the idea is. So there's 20, there's 20 performances but explain what, what it means where there's no tours involved at all. Yeah, so again, what I wanted to do was sort of look at, you know, when you think of Michael Jackson performances, what do you think of? And a lot of people automatically will, will get images of, say, Motown 25 or the 30th anniversary concert or something like that, something that was sort of televised um, throughout the world. And that's kind of the approach I took. I wanted it to be stuff that was predominantly televised and seen by the majority of readers. So it wasn't kind of, again, talking about, well, the Brisbane tour of Bad <laughs> um, when Stevie Wonder came out and no one's ever seen it, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted it to be something where people could, could, you know, type in one of the performances into YouTube and watch it there and then and go, oh, okay, this is what he's talking about. And so for me, that was, you know, I had to kind of put, for the most part, tour performances to the side and, and focus on what are the kind of def- defining televised, I guess, performances. And yeah, again, just kind of look at the, from a viewpoint of what cultural impact did they have? What impact did it have to Michael's career? What impact did it have in terms of his creative development? So when you look at, a you know, the performance of Dangerous at the American Music Awards, how did that compare to when he did it at the MTV Awards, how did it compare to when he did it later on? So kind of which of those performances is the the quintessential one to kind of to hone in on and discuss? So, yeah, that was kind of where I was coming into. And, again, it's a starting point for, for people to kind of revisit some performances and there's some, you know, Jackson's and J5 stuff in there that people mm-hmm. may not have seen That's kind of hopefully gets them to to hunt out, you know, the Jackson 5 and the Carol Burnett show or whatever and, and kind of go, okay, I can see where this fits in the, the full journey of Michael as a, as a performer. I love that. And, yeah, the Carol Burnett stuff and things. There is a couple that I'll be hunting for on YouTube that one that I might not have actually seen or that I definitely have not seen in many, many, many years. So I'm looking forward to sitting down when I've got time um, and going through the book 
for going through the 20 and going, okay, which ones of these haven't I not seen lately and which ones can I quickly type in and watch now? I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I did this morning. I um, I read the book once through, I think, two nights ago from start to finish. Really enjoyed it. And then this morning, I thought I'm going to go back and choose the ones that I haven't watched a lot of and watch them again after reading it. And that was also a really good experience, similar to like if I was listening to the song as I was reading it. And one thing I wanted to point out as well is that you're actually in this book, something I think is really brave and really good is that you're, you're quite critical here and the, here and there as well. Um, of some elements of the performances, which I think is really, really great. It's not just like a piece where it's like, oh, Michael was the best, Michael's awesome, This is these are the best performances and here's why. There's actually parts in here when you can be a little bit critical of them as well. For example, the 30th anniversary concert where you're talking about You Rock My World coming straight after Billie Jean and how that was like, a, like Billie Jean was so amazing and harkened back to his Motown 25 brilliance and then straight after that was like a little bit of a, a flat kind of performance and I think that was really cool to read as a as uh, some uh, as a reader as well seeing that you can be critical of Michael's work occasionally yeah I don't think you know I'm not the kind of fan that loves everything he's ever recorded and produced and loved every performance and every track is the best I think that I think it's impossible to 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 view that and it's impossible as any artist to kind of, you know, produce every song can't be Billie Jean. Every song can't be, you know, who is it? Uh, There's going to be songs, there's going to be performances and there might be moments in performances. So, you know, the, the, um, as you say, the 30th anniversary concerts, you know, a lot of that is amazing stuff. And then there's moments in there you go, Hmm, you know, not really feeling that, or that feels like a little bit unrehearsed and no one's really sure what's going on. And, and, um, you know, and, and placing it within context of everything that he was sort of going through at the time as well. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think you can be an honest person discussing it, whether it's amongst friends or whether it's, you know, writing it in this book or, or anything like that without casting a, a critical eye. And it's never, um, you know, a nasty kind of take no. on anything. It's just saying, you know, this, it's kind of nine, 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 and then this happens and it's about a 7.5. But for any other artist, the seven point five is good enough. But exactly. you know, for Michael, we all know that he's kind of the nines and the tens. Yeah, I think that comes with anything. If you love something, you can still be critical of it. Like yeah. it's you, you, it's not like this blind love and put it up on a pedestal and it cannot be touched. It's meant to be brought down, examined, looked at, turned over. Look at the other side. What's underneath? You know, get into detail and what you do like and what you don't like about it. Yeah, very much so. There's one thing I want to I want to raise is uh, I, I've, there's an excerpt from one of your sections. I don't have it in front of me right. I do have the book in front of me right now, but I can't find the actual part where you talk about it. But there's a there's a specific moment in in the book where you talk about Michael uh, lip syncing and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, miming his uh, lyrics on stage rather than singing live. I think it may have been when you were discussing. Uh, it might have been the Ben performance on the Oscars. I can't remember right. exactly. Yep. Um, and it and it really got me thinking. Like, it, I I will admit, I, I will say, I really struggled reading reading this book in terms of uh, where I would place 
uh, certain songs. And I, I didn't feel that way when I was reading some of your other books, like especially 101. Sure. I pretty much agreed uh, with most of those placements. I will say, though, that I, <laughs> I did struggle big time with number <laughs> with 1 to 10 um, in this book. And I, I said before I read it twice, the first time I read it, I really struggled. And the main reason is because I am really, I'm not, not a big personal fan of of the performances where Michael is is lip syncing, mm-hmm. um, personally, yeah. because because I feel that it takes uh, a level of showmanship above uh, what what he was displaying in some performances where he was lip syncing to actually to dance and sing at the same time to the level that he did it when he did. Um, sure. So, and th- and then I thought, well, hang on. Hang on, this this book may not be necessarily his legitimate best performances um, at any given moment in terms of being able to lip sync and be, oh, sorry, in terms of being able to sing live, etc. And then I started approaching it as like, what were the performances that impacted the world the most, or what were the performances yeah. that changed the world the most, or, or or impacted the world's view on Michael Jackson the most? And when I started thinking of it in that way. I, I agreed with the placements. But I've got to say, <laughs> the lip syncing, I don't know. Not a massive fan myself. Okay. So then I guess, and, and you're right, you know, the, the criteria is about, you know, what impact did it have? What was the water cooler moment the next the next morning? So yeah. you can't deny the impact of a Motown 25 Billy Jane performance, uh, which was lip synced. You know, there's the, it's the whole backing track. So but does that make that performance any less important to his career? You know, and there's a couple of of performances in the uh, in the twenty that are kind of pulled out because they are purely just a live moment. And yeah, look, I agree with you as well. It was something that I struggled with in terms of, you know, do you when you look at a performance, what are you looking at in totality? Are you looking at the vocal are you looking at the the way that the set's constructed are you looking at whether he's backed with 20 dancers or whether he's alone does that make it more important does so yeah the, the criteria had to be you know evaluated on their impact on michael's career the importance to him as, as an artist and his artistic development um and really the power and the impact across the culture that that they had so dancing machine for example even there, I, I talk about there are performances that he lip synced and then there's performances that are live. And I, I too gravitate more towards the live performances, but you know, the, the Soul Train one is probably the one that had the most impact. So you know, it's all degrees of movement one way or the other in terms of critiquing it. Interesting to hear you say that, Jamin, because I know that one of your all-time favourite performances is the MTV performance. Yeah, I cut him a bit of slack on that one. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's some performances where I feel like lip syncing is like totally forgivable and okay. And for ex- and one of those are you know it, well, any dangerous performance. Anytime he yep. was performing dangerous, I'm like I don't even care that he's lip syncing because I can't even think of one human on the planet that would be able to do a dance routine like that that goes throughout the whole song and sing live. Like it's just incredible to think that anybody could even do that so i don't mind that he lip syncs in those kind of really really dance heavy songs where i get upset is where there's a song where there's not really a lot of physical requirement but he chose to 
to lip sync anyway. And, and I, th- I and I yeah, so Billy Jean I'm, is I'm, one is one like that for me. And it sounds crazy yeah. to say because there's a lot of dancing in Billy Jean, but he performed Billy Jean live pretty much on every tour except history, I'm pretty sure. Um and in you know Motown 25, that's completely lip synced the whole thing, start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. And also, you know, there's also how much control did he have at certain points. So the Oscars one, for example, I don't know whether he would have been saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to lip sync this. I think it's probably more a, a TV production requirement. And the same with Soul Train and things like that, where, you know, bands would come on these shows and, and basically play to the play to the backing track and that yeah. was it because there, there weren't time to do sound checks and, and stuff like that. So... I, I get where you're coming from completely and there's you know there's some slack that has to be cut in certain ways and there were obviously times where Michael could have you know sung you're not alone at the MTV awards live because you know there's not a huge dance routine happening there and I think I mentioned that as a, a point in the book that the connection with the audience kind of evaporates when you feel like you're just listening to to a backing track rather than actually hearing him, whether he's going to struggle on a certain note or whether he's going to hit it or whether he's just changing the phrasing of something. There's just something in that honest performance, you know, the sound emanating from his mouth that's going to connect with an audience better than a way that, you know, a, a backing track would. I think it's awesome that you included some stuff that people may not have seen in a long time like i'm not going to go through the whole list i'm not going to you know i'm not going to place numbers so people can read it and see where they place (laughs) no we want you to get your money's worth um but like (laughs) things like yeah things like um mtv 10th anniversary i thought that was really cool um, especially because we just heard sort of from um, Kevin Stay about, you know, the Will You Be There performance. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to, to read about that in the placement. Um, I thought it was awesome how uh, you included, like, um, of course, like, you know, Motown 25, but the Jacksons portion of that yeah. and also the Jacksons portion of the um, 30th anniversary concert, which – for me, you know, that was such an exciting thing to see that, you know, brother, the brothers reunite. And I remember when those horns sounded mm-hmm. and those fireworks waterfall yeah. down, I was sitting on the floor in a lounge room and I was next to my sister and I just broke down in just tears, complete sobbing tears streaming down my face because it was such a historic moment for me to see as a fan at that time. Um, so I was so happy to see that in the book. And also, I love that you included, I guess we would call them gala performances. And my number one performance really is um, Elizabeth, I Love You. And I was right. so happy to see that in there because I just love that performance. That is just so pure and so powerful. And, yeah, I was so happy that was in there. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all, you know, powerful moments. And as you say, there are, there are some, uh, uh, it's interesting when you deal with an artist like Michael and, you know, you hear the word rarely seen or something, um, you know, you were there, the Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Uh, performance piece that had I not videotaped, you know, back in the day when, when that aired, 
you know, for years I would never have known about that. Now it's, you know, more easily accessible with the advent of YouTube and just being able to, to type it in and watch it. But someone still needs to point you in that direction to say, you know, it's not all just, um, you know, massive dance routines. Sometimes it's just Michael on a mic and uh, that's all you need. That's all you need. And a wind machine and a spotlight. <laughs> never hurts. <laughs> There's some... Um... Really magical, rarer moments in here, isn't there? Like the Royal Brunei Concerts uh, version of Earth Song. Uh, yeah. That that whole section at the end of that where, you know, the tell me what about it sort of live vocals that Michael's giving in that are just so amazing to see and such a rare departure from, you know, the typical sort of version of that song. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of goes back to, you know, you counter that to the first half of the performance, which is lip synced. Yes. And you kind of go, you know, when he breaks into the same with um, the Grammy Award performances with Man in the Mirror, as soon as that live mic kicks in, you know, the, the performance just elevates. Um, it goes all the way to 11. Um, it, it's just an amazing moment. And you just, there's the, the pure talent. There it is. That's exactly right. Um, I'm just scrolling through the book now um, on my Mac and I'm looking at some of these images and they are absolutely breathtaking. So not only is the information really interesting on each song, but you're actually putting a lot of uh, high resolution pictures uh, and not 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 screen captures either from uh, the performance, like the televised performances, but actual still photography that was to uh, taken uh, during the performances. And there's some absolutely stunning images one of my favorite ones is uh the 30th anniversary concert image on page 53 uh there's a a shot taken from up where the orchestra was uh placed above the stage and that it's yeah. it's looking out, looking out across the crowd it's such high quality that you can literally zoom i'm zooming in right now on these pictures and you can see the individual people's faces in the crowd the yeah, there'll be fans on. out there. Yeah, fans out there that were here that are going to be zooming in and finding, finding themselves yourself. in the crowd. I think I can see Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's easy nowadays to kind of access some great photos, and um, you know, that to me is a, a triumphant kind of end of show moment for Michael, and just kind of, you know hopefully put aside any doubt he had about you know whether people cared or not at that stage in his career um and you can just see the whole auditorium just on their feet just giving it all they can and uh you know michael just kind of in his classic pose just hopefully soaking up that love and appreciation and uh yeah it's it's one of my favorite photos so it um was a nice way to kind of cap off the book i thought how important is uh high quality photography to you when putting together a book like this yeah uh, because it is you know it's an ebook so it is meant to be seen on screens and um you know you can get a little bit you can just you know technically speaking get away with 72 dpi but i always try to at least get um you know 150 to 300 dpi which is more print quality if you were going to print the book out it would you know still be pretty clear the yeah, I just think it just aids for a more rich, immersive in uh, you know experience for people, and I just wanted the readers to kind of feel like they're in those performances, um, you know, uh, or at least having a nice image that goes along with what I've written. 
um, so that there is, you know, I just want to reward people for turning the page basically and sticking with it. I loved how you included photos. Um, I guess they're in some sort of sequence, but you've also included photos of the rehearsals of mm. a number of things. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, and again, it's just, you know, nice, uh, again, seeing the development of some stuff. So there's, um, you know, there's a great shot of Michael at the rehearsals for the 30th anniversary concert, and then next to it is the shot from the night of him doing Billie Jean. So you get to see kind of performance outfit versus stage outfit, and, you know, to me, they're the little behind-the-scenes glimpses that you just see the, you know, that, that just excite you because you're kind of seeing the development of, of what will eventually be seen as the final product. Yeah, you're sort of just peeking behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah, exactly. This one's great. There's Michael um, at the Motown 25 uh, rehearsals wearing jeans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so cool. What What was the reasoning behind just random out of the blue question, but remember the time, Soul Train Awards. Michael, Michael uh, tell, tell us the story about Michael sitting in, the, in, a, in a chair performing that. That song, I can. It's a bit of an odd inclusion there for me because it wasn't. It obviously the performance didn't go anywhere near like what he wanted it to be like. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, from what I understand, and this is all based on you know reports at the time. Um, you know, it was either a sprained ankle or a a um, an injury of some sort. Uh, he either sprained his ankle or twisted his ankle that stopped him being able to to kind of perform. And you actually see him kind of hobble out at various parts th through the night when he accepts awards. And it, to me, it was an interesting take on just seeing how, okay, if you're going to do a song like Remember the Time and you're going to say to Michael, okay, but you can't dance during it, how does he cope? <laughs> you know, if you, if you, and Michael, you have to sit down for this one. You know, and you watch that performance and, you know, people will tell you who worked with him that, you know, if Michael really dug something, he, he danced to it and, um, you know, he couldn't help but move. And so that performance in itself is kind of, you know, I think even Michael at one stage towards the end appreciates the absurdity of it, that there's, you know, a full on dance troupe behind him sort of doing the classic moves from the, the short film. And he's in the chair, just moving his arms a little bit here and there and, he kind of, you know, he, he can't contain himself. He wants to get up and he does. He stands up a couple of times and then goes, shit, my foot's really hurting. I'll, uh, I'll sit back down, I think. But, yeah, it's just one of those moments that, you know, A, because it was never really performed again. So you, it's a glimpse into what it might have been like on, on the Dangerous Tour or any tours following. But, yeah, it was just one of those moments where much like, um, you know, um, you were there that – what you expected to get from a Michael Jackson performance and what you actually got sometimes was, was much more important and, and better than, than anything that, you know, you, you could have imagined. I think that if uh, Remember the Time did sort of become a maybe an award show staple or featured on the, the Dangerous or History Tours, I think he, he would have just been exhausted from it because yeah. it's such a great routine. He would have been yeah. shattered after it. Yeah, I think it definitely would have been one of the, the final kind of three or four songs of the night, I think. Yeah, it would have been incredible, though. But, yeah, it would have been yeah, totally. exhausting. Yeah. Delighted to have with us one of America's youngest institutions, five of our very favorite people who, in fact, are doing us the honor of letting us celebrate with them their 10th anniversary in show business. A great welcome, gang, for the Jacksons. 
hands if you remember these songs. I never can say goodbye. Don't wait for me. I never can say goodbye. Even though the pain and heartaches seem to follow me wherever I go. Though I try and try to have my feet since they always seem to show. Then you try to say you're leaving me. And I hope and never say no. Tell me why. Hi, this is Janneke and you're listening to the MJ Cast. If you're after a leading magazine on all things Michael Jackson and the Jackson family, check out Jackson Source. Jackson Source publishes Jackson Magazine annually and it offers a full retrospect of the previous year covering all the news, highlights and events of the first and next generation of Jacksons in the form of articles, interviews, photos, categories and exclusive contributions from Jackson family members. Jackson Magazine is now available and features articles about the message in Michael's music, the legacy of the Jackson 5, exclusive interviews with Tito, Jermaine, Taj, Terrell and TJ, as well as exclusive pictures of Tito, Jermaine, Jafar and Your Majesty, and loads more. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at JacksonSource. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Lavelle Smith Jr. Thanks for joining us on the MJ Cast. So, moving on from questions around performances, what other books on Michael Jackson would you like to see come out in the future? Oh, wow! You know, I I, I think biographies have pretty much been done now, and you know, part of the issue I have with the the current Travis Smiley book is that it's obviously based on stories and uh, you know recollections at the time that we've all heard now but to make it a, an interesting read he kind of implants himself as you know the thoughts inside michael's mind which was kind of an issue i had with um randy terabrelli's um book back in the day yeah. where a lot of the conversations that were had in elevators were you know recounted and it's like between michael and uh, barry gordy and you're going well there's no way Michael told you this and there's no way Barry Gordy told you this. So there has to be some, you know, creative license in the narrative to, to kind of propel the story along. So for me, I, I would like to kind of see album, uh, see books that dig deeper into the albums. I would love to see a book that, you know, if, if a dangerous book came out and took you through every track and, you know, 
how Jam started with Rene Moore and Bruce Swedine kind of, you know, starting with that groove, what Michael brought to it, what Teddy brought to it, you know, how they all started, you know, recording it. And thankfully there's seminars like, you know, the the recent MJU or the In The Studio seminars that Brad Sundberg does and other seminars that people do that kind of give you, help kind of place you in that moment. And I'd love to see a book that kind of, you know, digs deeper into the recording process of the songs and, and how the songs came about and then talk about the short films and then talk about the performances of it. And um, to me, that's where I think uh, the more rewarding read is going to come from, not from another, you know, biography. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Like Mike Smallcomb's book is um, such a career-encompassing sort of biography. Mm. It has its place and it's an amazing book and probably one of the best, I think, on, on Michael that's ever been written. But I think you're totally right. Like Chris Cadman's book on Off the Wall, the one that recently just came out, I think it's called yeah. Off the Wall for the Record. Um, yeah. You know, that's the level of detail I like going into now when I read, when I read fine, sort of yeah. fine-tuned books on albums and eras. Yeah. Ac- like academic study books. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of where you know, people are gravitating more towards now as they, you know, we, we all know the story of Michael and, you know, unfortunately you can only interview the same people so many times and they're going to tell you the same story so many times. So whether it's for this book or that book, the story is going to remain the same. So whilst the biography books are great and, you know, Mike Smolkin's book is a really great um, kind of read and kind of aggregates everything that you would, you know, if you'd read five other books surrounding it and there's new insights with new interviews and things like that, so if you're new to, to the fan community, those books are really important to read. But I guess, you know, I sound like the, the crotchety old man, get off my lawn. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you've, if you've kind of read pretty much every bio that came out from way back in the day through to, you know, the new Travis Smiley book, you, you kind of, um, you know, there's not much that you can read that's going to be new to you. So, yeah, digging deeper and a more academic approach to the work will will hopefully glean some new insights. What would you like to be the next official sort of big project release? Uh, from like from the estate and Sony and stuff or? Yeah, that's all we've yeah. got. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I would love, I would love to see a victory tour. I would love to see a victory tour in Blu-ray um, I'd love to see, you know, Making of Thriller get released. I'd love to see Ghost get released on Blu-ray. Musically, I'd love to get a singles box set, you know, all the original artwork, the the, the original track listing or augmented with the 12-inch, you know, the, the tracks that came out when the 12-inch singles got released and have that as a, a complete box set. I know Vision sort of tried to do that, but it wasn't all-encompassing. But just have every single release in one, you know, one box set would be gold for me. Damn, um, that'd be I, expensive, far out. Yeah, but it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it would. Like I remember collecting all the the visionary box set yeah. ones. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah ones. and that was awesome. But yeah, that well at the time that was not cheap. Like if you want to get that now, you'd probably be able to get that full set for a much better price than what I was yeah. getting yeah. for my, you know, my sanity pre-orders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old sanity. But yeah, I mean, and that, you know, I would love to see the special editions kind of continue just to get the other material that worked at that time. You know, I think they dropped the ball massively on off the wall. I, I think, you know, having a, a disc that 
also has the demos of all the tracks or you know the the writers you know hearing rod temperton's take on on you know his demo of um rock with you for example or hearing michael's home demos and stuff like that or you know off tracks or takes that didn't make it or things like that that to me you know the beatles anthology um, when that came out was kind of like the benchmark i think for how you can do something and and show songs in a new light and show the creative process that that's where i gravitate towards so that's kind of what i would be looking for more myself yeah, the, the off the wall was uh, released was pretty curious effort. Like the the album itself really just came out the year before. The 2015 reissue of Off the Wall has the original artwork. Um, it is just the album on the disc with nothing else, but it is the remastered tracks. Um, yeah. All all the all the the latest version of Off the Wall was really was just the 2015 reissue with the the chalk and the the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forget the chalk, though. <laughs> That's what we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, uh, Bad 25, I think, was was a good effort in terms of, you know, pulling in songs that were recorded around that time and considered for inclusion. That's the sort of thing I would like to get more of. So what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that is a, a fairly contentious thing in the fan community. Like, I mean, obviously the estate and Sony put out a lot of unreleased music. Their two biggest projects they've done since Michael passed away was uh, the Michael and Escape albums, which had, you know, a lot of unreleased music on them. And depending on who you talk to, some people love that, some people don't. Um, Do you think unreleased music uh, that Michael chose not to release in his lifetime should continue coming out? Uh, You know, I'm I'm always torn on that because the completist in me wants to hear everything. Um, but the legacy fan in me wants to have some quality control over it. So, um, you know, like most fans, I'd rather have the original musicians, producers and engineers work on the projects rather than get someone who hasn't had anything to do with Michael take a song and and go, okay, well, I'm just going to keep the vocals. Now I'm going to put my stuff around it. Um, You know, so Escape, for example, to me was a CD of demos with a bonus remix CD. Now, that's how I approached it. Yeah. Um, and that's what I listen to. I listen to the demos. I don't listen to the 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 remix album as such. So, you know, I think everyone's like that. I think everyone, if they're going to release stuff, um, you know, give us behind the mask, the 1982 um, version, and let us hear what that was like. Um, don't yes, try to, please. Don't, Top don't of my try, list. Yeah, don't try to reimagine it as, like, what would it be today? Um you know, and I think legacy artists like Michael, and we'll see it with Prince, um, you know, if they try to recapture the, the, the moment, it's not, never going to happen. But if you can uh, appreciate the time and place that it was recorded, then you can bring something to it. Yes. And I think that's kind of what's been lacking a little bit with, um, with the releases. Is it almost too late, do you think? Like, I mean, the uh, surely most of the, the music that Michael worked on in his lifetime that didn't get released, which is releasable, is already out. Is it too late to take that approach? I, I don't, I mean, I know of a fair few songs that are kind of towards, at least finished or towards finished that still could get released. Yeah. And whether or not they would be necessarily commercially successful, I, I don't know, but if there was going to be an effort to kind of, you know, release the stuff, I would probably want to see it more within its context. The problem with 
albums like Michael or Escape is that apart from Michael obviously not being around to say yes or no to what would have been included, there's there's no sequencing to the album. It never feels like you're listening yes. to an album. You feel like you're listening to a collection of songs. Yeah. Um, it's not like listening to History or listening to Invincible or listening to Dangerous. There's no kind of, you know, thread that's, that's taken all the way through it. Um, so... I would rather see Dangerous 25 come out and here's some stuff he was working on at that time. Here's Earth Song, you know, as it was recorded for possible inclusion on the Dangerous album. Here's other tracks. Here's the tracks he was working with um, Brian Loren on. Here's, you know, there's a lot of stuff still that hasn't found the light of day that could, um, but I think it needs to be placed within context for it to have any real meaning to people. Other than, uh, you know, if you just try to repackage it on a new album um, and call it, I don't know, Skyways, um, <laughs> you know, then, then you know, there's, there's just not going to be any real sense of purpose to it. Couldn't agree more. I think that's really well said. Have you got a favourite unreleased song that they've released recently? Ah, oh, a favourite unreleased? Um like for me, it was behind the mask. I yeah. think. Oh I my mean, god! Like, and even though that wasn't the sort of the version that Michael last worked on, it's been like updated, and I do desperately want to hear the Michael version. Um, yeah. But that the vocals on that, I was like just blown away. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough over <laughs> my many years as a fan to kind of hear a lot of stuff that didn't make it to albums. Um, and there's still a lot of stuff I haven't heard um, that's kind of gone more into the, the the folklore of Michael. But hearing a song like Do You Know Where Your Children Are to me was fantastic. Um, you know, Behind the Mask was great, but I, I, I wanted that 1984 ver- uh, 1982 version. You know, I've been fortunate enough to hear some songs that hopefully will get released in, at, a, at a future time um, because there's some still some pretty cool songs there. And then, of course, the songs that are folklore, you know, Chicago 1945, you know, Buffalo Bill, Iowa, you know, the songs that we've, you know, we've read about but never heard of would be um, would be great to hear. And that's the completest in me talking because mm. uh, because I know of Iowa, because Janet mentioned it in a Rolling Stone article, I need to hear it yeah. as the legacy kind of, you know, fan who wants to protect the legacy. Is it good enough to get released? Maybe not. OK, then let's not just release it just because we can make a quick buck on it. This year is a big dangerous anniversary. Yeah. Like, um, and Ben Dudick on Facebook uh, messaged us and, and sort of said, any idea why Dangerous is no longer on Spotify, at least in the US? Do you think that they will do a Dangerous re-release? And if they did, what would you like on that? I would love them to do it. I would hope that that, I mean, to me, again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, the the re-release anniversary issues. And as long as they kind of put the demos for stuff, I mean, even if you just took the the album alone and then said, okay, we're just dealing with these songs, but hearing the, you know, the the demos for, um, you know, I think Bill Patrell uh, talked about Give In To Me and said that he, he himself will admit that he overproduced that track. So, okay, well, what was it like before he pushed it, you know, two steps too far? You know, what was the original demo to Who Is It Like? What was the, you know, original Will You Be There like? What was Why You Want to Trip On Me like? You know, you could do stuff like that, but then there's also all the stuff that 
you know, Michael did with Brian Loren before he switched gears and kind of moved more in the New Jacks swing stuff with, with Teddy. So there's still a lot of surrounding material um, that you could put something together that would be, you know, a, a great little release for me and something that really rewards the fans. I, I don't know whether you're going to get a lot of new fans out of, um, you know, uh, Timberland doing another remix or Pitbull getting on something. Um, you know, they've tried that. It's failed. Uh, it's time to kind of move on and look at why people love Michael's work in the in the first place. Film projects. You did mention that you'd love like, a, you know, sort of victory and ghosts and making a moonwalker. What sort of, other than those, like, do you think that full concert box sets or what would you want as film pro products to, to own? Because there's so um, much that Michael yeah. put onto film. Yeah, I, I, look, I think, you know, I, uh, Victory Tour for me, um, I would love to see. I'd love to see a Destiny Tour. I'd love to see a Triumph Tour. You know, there's there's probably a lot more that you could get from the the Jacksons era than, um, than Michael's. I mean, you could put a bad, dangerous history box set together. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, for me, those things and, you know, there's still... You know, I'd love to see more behind-the-scenes footage stuff of, you know, Stranger in Moscow of, you know, they don't care about us, um, especially the prison version. Scream, you know, there's, there's, you could, if you wanted to go back and really mine stuff and repackage stuff and really give it a quality kind of treatment, you could do that. But, but yeah, the concerts would probably be where I would gravitate a little bit more towards. In addition to uh, being an author, uh and uh, putting out the MJ101 series. You're also involved in the MJ Archives uh, Facebook group that we're, a lot of us are yep. members on. Tell us about your role there and and, and uh, what you see the importance of the group as. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I've got to give full props to Chris Cadman and Jay Leggett. I mean, Chris set the, set the group up. I was never really one much for, for forums. I kind of, you know, was on the first... MJ Internet Fan Club, which was just really an email server that kind of spouted out stuff once a day or once a week back in the day of the early internet. And I would kind of go to almost other musician sites and um, and talk about Michael there because there wasn't uh, – you could talk about the music more there, I guess, and that's kind of what I gravitate towards. Um, so when I heard about the archives, um, you know, and was kind of, you know, introduced to that, uh, it felt like a great place because – you know, Chris set it up as having the focus on the music, Michael's art, and kind of just keeping those discussions moving forwards. So I was a member for many years there, and then um, Chris and Jay invited me to be an admin there. Um, so basically my role only there is just to try to keep the conversations about music moving forwards. Yeah. And really all the members that are there make it such an enjoyable and educational place to be part of because they're the ones that are really, you know, bringing in new insights to tracks or letting us know when, you know, something appears on YouTube or whatever. So it's just a great place where people who, you know, don't always agree on on the music, uh, you know, or, or performances or things like that, but can have a, uh, you know, a, an enjoyable discussion that can, as I say, make you re-look at something or re-listen to something and go, okay, well, you know, the hot topics on Invincible that kind of pop up or, or, um, you know, the history album or whatever, where people are so passionate about certain songs that you go, okay, well, let me put my own judgment aside and let's see what they're 
you know, what's, what's calling out to them about it. And maybe I can find that in the songs too. Yeah, it's certainly a great place to be a member of. I I, I love going there, and it's it's great uh, seeing, like you said, you know, the discussions come up, the uh, sort of uh, the debates that happen. Like, it's pretty much always the first place I go whenever something leaks, whenever a new thing comes out that MJ beats or whoever leaks. Without a doubt, it'll always be straight up there on the archives and, you know, you'll have a thread of like 100 replies with people discussing the history of that piece or the, um, you know, whether it's good or bad or, you know, all kinds of different things. It's really a great place. I think you guys do an awesome job. I think as a, as a fan, I don't think any of us know everything and so it's great to, you know, to hear from people who are lifelong fans or hear from people who have, you know, maybe just discovered Michael in the last month but what they're hearing or what they're seeing or what they're discovering about him, you know, is always of interest as well. I've got a question now for you. It's our big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the question that we ask uh, pretty much every every special guest. All right. We yeah, have I a, think I know this question. You know this one. We ask it to everyone <laughs> we have on. And then, of course, you know that your answer will be compiled at the end of the year into our Christmas special. Um, I want to ask you how you feel that Michael Jackson should be remembered. As Santa Claus. <laughs> wow! I just nice. no, I just figured I figured it fit the Christmas theme. Um, but in reality, um, and I, it's funny because I had obviously being a, a, a listener of, of the podcast, so kind of uh, you know hearing everyone's answers and everyone's spot on with what they say. For me, um, it's kind of a twofold thing. I'd like for him to be remembered as an in- innovator because he really pushed music, he pushed visuals. Um, he did wildly new things and established kind of new media and avenues that he doesn't get a lot of credit for because they were super successful. And so it seems like it's always a fait accompli that, of course, this was going to be a huge hit. Of course, this you know, there's no risk because it was successful. But if you go back and you go, okay, well, this was actually you know a bit of innovation there. And you know, for me, just remembering Michael as a songwriter, you know, you asked earlier, is he a singer or is he a dancer? You know, he's he's all of that. He's a singer, dancer, entertainer. But his songwriting talent gets a little bit lost, I think, in those discussions. So, you know, again, uh, it's something that I remember him more for is the songwriting because it all starts with the songs and the way that he could, you know, write and express himself or whether he took someone else's lyrics, you know, such as a human nature and, and kind of imbue it with such passion and feeling that you can't imagine anybody else ever singing it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. That's that's kind of where I would remember him. It's a great answer. You had a, a tough act to follow as well. Kevin Stay's Vanguard exactly. fantasy answer. <laughs> yeah, not not as not as eloquent, but Santa Claus is good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man, Andy, this has just been such a joy. It's Thank moments you. like this on the MJ cast where it, it's just like us mates, sort of just sitting around the table you know, getting our Michael on and, and that's what the show, that's the essence of this show. So I've loved this. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for even listening to the MJ cast and that then a huge, and then huge thank you for MJ 101 and the new book, MJ 101 performances. Thank you so much. We thank really you, appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you. Um, I know I've got various shout outs over the over the course of the the seasons on uh, the MJ cast, and I really appreciate the support. And um, yeah, you know, as I say, I'm a I'm a fan just like everyone else. So getting to to hang out and chat with you guys is a joy for me as well. Yep, that's us. We're just 
we're just fans and we're just <laughs> making this for fans and exactly. that's the fun of it i think yeah so uh tell us where people can find you online andy okay so um mjseries.com is where you can go to download um the mj series ebooks um and as of right now uh as this uh mj cast goes to air um, I'm debuting the performances book uh, to coincide with uh, this podcast. So you can go there straight away and download uh, the performances. And if you want to get in contact with me on Twitter, it's MJ underscore one underscore zero underscore one. That's right. You heard it. We're basically sort of premiering this new MJ 101 supplement. So thank you for that opportunity. We've been a uh, very eager to do so, and we're very, very grateful. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we've been really lucky. Hey, we had um, we premiered Remixed by Nick's new Jam remix yeah. on the last episode, and we've, we're getting MJ 101 performances out to the world on this episode. So pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So, yeah, I better let people know where to find us as I scroll through my images to try and find all of those. But firstly and foremost... Hopefully, you've already subscribed to us and this would have automatically downloaded to your device without you having to do anything. So you can do that via iTunes or your Android podcast app, um, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. We're across a few of those now. Um, shortcut, you can go to the mjcast.com and over in the corner, you'll see subscribe buttons. It is free. We do not charge, just like Andy, and it's good value because we talk and waffle on for ages. Andy, how do you listen to the MJ cast? Uh, so I basically uh, come through on iTunes, so I get it delivered um, to my every time I log into iTunes. So, uh, yeah, that's how I listen. And um, occasionally I'll also just load it up on the website just for extra fun. Cool. Nice. Uh, but you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are the MJ Cast, all one word. We're over at Tumblr, themjcast.tumblr.com, and over on YouTube as youtube.com forward slash plus the MJ Cast. And even Andy is will be eagerly awaiting your emails and feedback for for his book. We always eagerly look forward to getting emails after the shows. You can email us the mjcast at icloud.com well there we go folks that's a wrap for another week of the mjcast we'll be back in a fortnight's time of course with our next episode uh that's a pretty epic run of specials we've had q <laughs> it has been yeah i think it's four or something in a row <laughs> so the special episodes aren't really special anymore they're more our regular episodes but we will be back in a couple of weeks uh with our next regular episode we'll be covering all the latest news um, on Michael Jackson and the Jackson family. There's been a whole bunch of things happening um, over the past few weeks. Uh, we're leading into a very exciting time of the year as well. Uh, you would have heard uh, us talk a little bit about on this episode about prospective new projects coming from Sony and the estate. Well, it's been a while since we've had a brand new project. Of course, we had Off the Wall, but uh, in terms of the next major project, what's it going to be? Possibly Dangerous I can tell you. Who knows? I can tell you there was a statement this morning. What? Yeah. No, there wasn't. They're doing more slot machines. <laughs> oh, I'm not joking. 
I'm not joking. They did a statement. They put out a statement. They're doing more exciting projects for slot machines. There's a scoop if you didn't know already. And I bet you they're going to be going in Mandalay Bay. (laughs) Cha-ching. There's your latest statement from the estate. There's your project slot machines. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> tune into the MJ cast where <laughs> you can hear us talk we'll all give about you breaking news. Oh, <laughs> uh, was that? <laughs> yeah, that was. I read it this oh, morning. I was like, I can't oh, believe man, that slot machines. On. There was already like a giant uproar about the slot machines last time they did it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no victory tour or you know history Blu-ray. We get some slot machines. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. Just what we ordered. Great. All right. We'll uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks' time on the next episode of the MJ Cast. Make sure to keep Michaeling. Michael on. Andy. Shamon. Have you got anything, Andy? <laughs> What's your little tag? I have no tags. That's my tag. No, you got to come up with one now. MJ one hundred and one. <laughs> thoughts on invincible uh i think it was um a good album i think it was probably six songs too long and i think if they'd released it as a 10 track album it probably would have been more cohesive and more enjoyable a listen in my opinion which are the six songs and would you have uh, put those six songs as like B-sides like he sort of did with uh, Shout and Cry and that kind of thing? Is that yeah, what you would have done with those yeah, other I tracks? Have, I would have probably made them more um, B-side releases and just kind of, you know, I think I think Invincible fell into the trap of being too long in production and so stuff that sounded potentially current and cutting edge didn't end up becoming as cutting, in, uh, as cutting edge and current as they'd wanted it to. And so, yeah, I think they, they should have just trimmed stuff back. I personally would have lost uh, lost children. Um, I'm actually just, I've got an iTunes where I have my own version of um, Invincible that I've resequenced. You can't lose, you're not allowed to lose Speechless or else I'm hanging up. <laughs> I'm allowed to. <laughs> um, <you> know, exactly. <laughs> um, let me just see where it is. There we go. So what is it? This is your version of, this is a Andy Healy version of Invincible. Well, yeah, I can't actually find it. So it must be on my iPod, not my iTunes anymore. Um, I know a lot of fans that do this actually. Yeah. yeah reorder so, tracks in the album and yeah. yeah so, okay. I definitely would have lost 2000 Watts. I would have lost You Are My Life. I would have lost Don't Walk Away. Oh, Don't Walk Away I may have kept. I would have lost Lost Children. I potentially would have lost Threatened. Oh, what? I know. <gasps> okay, that's it. We'll see Glad you guys in a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, I just, you know, the songs like Break of Dawn, definitely. Yeah. Butterflies, definitely. You know, Heartbreaker is a song that I love. I know not a lot of fans do, but for me, that's just oh, amazing right. production, amazing piece of music. Um, privacy works. Yeah, I, I, I just would have, yeah, made it a, a little bit tighter and a little bit more cohesive. Having said that, because I remember at the time when it got released, I was just listening to it and just kind of not loving it completely. Uh, I wasn't getting the same kind of feeling I got when I listened to History or Dangerous or Bad or stuff like that. But I will say over the time, so now if I listen, go back and listen to a song that maybe I wasn't a huge fan of back then, I can get more appreciation for it now. So the, the songs have kind of revealed themselves a little bit more. But yeah, I would have trimmed it down to a nine or ten track album and then released the rest as B-sides as the singles got released. Okay, so yeah, I understand if you wouldn't have included Speechless if that's not your sort of cup of tea at the time and things like that, but... What would you have taken Threatened off for? Because to me, Threatened felt like Thriller Part 2. And I felt like he was repeating himself a little bit with it. And I felt like, you know, I mean, he'd done that motif through Is It Scary and Ghosts and stuff. And I guess for me as a fan at that time, I just felt, mm, maybe not. Um, I must say, though, when I did hear it as the, um, the coda for Thriller on... Um, this is it, just that instrumental groove. I was yeah. like, okay. It kind of, then I kind of rediscovered that track. Um, yeah. You know, and, and getting Rod Serling's voice and making it a rap is, you know, a, a feat in its own mind. So I can appreciate all of that. But just in flow of an album, you know, it may or may not make it onto that final 10 for me. I felt wow. that way about privacy. I thought privacy was like tabloid junkie part two, yeah. but not even as good yeah. at all. Yeah. Although when I heard, when they did privacy as the opener to um, MJ one and they kind of really strip it back and, you know, pass out the vocals. So it's kind of like one line, then there's just music, then there's the next line. And it takes on a little bit more of a darker edge to it. That was, you know, again, something that made you go back and re-listen to it. And, you know, I can appreciate it in that, in that light as well. Mm. And if they actually goddamn sold the soundtrack for that damn show that I would happily pay money for, we could all enjoy that. Exactly. I'll, um, but I'll have to hunt out and I'll email you guys that, that shorter list of uh, yes. what my take on Invincible would be. Well, what about, though, the tracks that didn't make it onto Invincible that have come out since then, like Escape and She Was Loving Me? Do you feel like they are stronger than the six tracks you would have taken off Invincible? Yeah, She Was Loving Me, definitely. Um, Escape, again, I kind of always... You know, I, I go back to when I heard Escape first leak and I just felt a little bit underwhelmed by it at that stage. Um, We've Had Enough is another so, one. Yeah, see, I definitely would have put that on. You know, there's there's a lot around that time that, that should have gone on there. And I know Michael, you know, went on the record to say there was a lot of material that didn't get on that's, you know, just as strong if not stronger. Um, and, you know, we saw that with, you know, the, rec- the first recording of Earth Song on, on the Dangerous album, or Do You Know Where Your Children Are, things like that. So, you know, to, to know that he went back and revisited songs and, you know, developed them and reworked them and then, you know, Earth Song ends up on history. I think he was doing that with the hopes of, you know, the next album would have all these extra pieces and, um, yeah, but definitely I would have put those tracks on and taken some of the other tracks off. 
There's also a lot of politics that come into it, I'm sure, as well. Like, for example, one of the songs you mentioned, I think it's Don't Walk Away. It's either Don't Walk Away or You Are My Life. There was, um, I think one of the, at least one of those songs is actually written by one of the estate co-executives, John McLean. And I remember that at the time that Invincible was coming out, there was some controversy about him wanting to have his song on there and another producer not getting their song on there or something like that. So I'm sure there's all record label and producer and writer politics that come into it as well. Yeah, and, you know, you would hope that at the end of the day, Michael has his say and they're the tracks that he wanted to have on there for whatever reason. And you've got to look at, you know, you've got to look at albums as peaks and valleys and you've got to have those, you know, moments of, you know, softness to, to really get the greatness to shine through as well. So, mm. You know, I, I just felt as a listener, it was, yeah, several songs too long. I think I agree. So you recently just went to MJU. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, so that was four days of hearing from, you know, Brad Sundberg, um, Rob Hoffman, Buxer, Prince, who else was there? Uh, Forger, wow. Craig Huxley. Um, and these guys are talking for like, you know, two or three hours about how this album came together and... It was just amazing and just hearing, um, you know, various approaches and stories and personal stories about working with Michael and how he, you know, would record DS and kind of, you know, be all angst and everything in the, in the booth and then, you know, <laughs> uh, walk out and then walk into the control room where the engineers and everyone's sitting and he'd be going, oh, did you hear that Disneyland's just put a new ride in? Um, you know, and they were saying that, yeah, he would definitely kind of leave everything at the mic and then... You know, it's almost like a, you know, a cathartic experience for him to kind of put all that stuff out there. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting hearing from all of them and hearing their stories and their takes on how the songs developed and um, who did what on which songs and how um, how involved Michael was on songs that you didn't necessarily think he was that involved on and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so hearing from, um, you know, the likes of Brad Buxter talking about, you know, writing uh, Stranger in Moscow with Michael and how that came about. You know, he talked about the Sonic episodes. You know, hearing the stories about how Michael worked in the studio, hearing how he was preparing for This Is It, hearing how he was recording at Neverland. Um, those stories and, and, you know, even the personal stories of, you know, Brad Sundberg's interactions and helping kind of help Michael realise his vision for Neverland. You just kind of got to see Michael uh, both as a performer, as an artist, but also as a person and, um, you know, really valuable insights and just great to be surrounded by a whole lot of other fans who are just there to kind of, you know, learn more and, and uh, you know, just relish the moment of, of, you know, hearing from people who have had such, you know, long careers with Michael and, and worked with him on kind of seminal pieces of work. Wow, I just hope I get to go one day. <laughs> Maybe next year. Maybe Looks, next there's year. There's some talks. Yeah, yeah I hear, I hear uh, Australia in January, I think, is meant to be on the go. So Hopefully. Um, yeah, that'll be a fun one to get to. And coming up in September this year, September, Saturday the 10th, 2016, at the Park Plaza Victoria Hotel in London will be the European fan convention Kingvention. Celebrating Michael Jackson, exclusive on stage interviews with Tom Russo, Dan Beck, and Yuko Samita Jackson, and recently announced Mike Smallcomb, 
author of Making Michael. There'll be a gallery, screening, official merchandise, live performances, exhibits, photo opportunities, meet and greet, and of course the Club 30s party and more. Tickets for Kingvention 2016 are available at kingvention.com. Let's 
something to get closer to your soul And you do know that I want you I think it's time Shake your body down to the ground I think it's time Shake your body down to the ground I think it's time Let's dance, let's shout. Shake your body out to the ground, let's dance. Shake your body out to the ground, let's dance. Let's shout. Shake your body out to the ground, let's dance. Shake your body out to the ground, let's dance. Let's shout. Shake your body out to the ground, let's